passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Hello, everybody. Welcome. We're live. It's Rewind to Dynamite. Moments after homecoming. Yeah, that's it. How you doing? Four weeks of longing to go home. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's why it's called homecoming. You know, sure. Four weeks is a long time. How are you? Doing good. Doing pretty well. Yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good as well. Good as well. Okay. You've swell even. Sure. Sure. Why not? A lot of stuff to discuss as we do most nights as we will be getting into homecoming tonight. Two hours back at Daly's place. Exciting to be back. Lots to come out of uh, tonight's episode. Uh, but let's just start off right off the top that uh, coming up on Thursday, folks, myself and Phil Shertalk are going to be live with the UFC 265 preview show the fight that way has been texting me about all week Derek lewis cyril gone pedro muñoz fighting jose aldo and michael chiesa versus vicente luque all coming up on saturday night i'm so excited john i can't wait for you two to preview everything on this show it's going to be quite the quite the card minus amanda nunez who is off of it but we will uh, be previewing that so we're gonna go live on the post YouTube channel Thursday at one Eastern this week, I encourage you to listen live because we're not going against a juggernaut. We're unopposed. Not live at least, but last week's wellness policy that I recorded with Jordan about the concept of play in our everyday lives that will be actually releasing on Thursday on the free feed as well. So you can listen to it after you watch the preview show. Yes, do that uh, for sure. And uh, this weekend, we're going to have a uh, Rewind to SmackDown on Friday night with Way and Kate from Montreal, who will be back, as you two will be discussing the final SmackDown-only Rewind to SmackDown for the time being. Yes, that is correct. We'll only be talking about SmackDown this week, because that'll be uh, not possible next week as we start Rampage. So join us. That's right. Yes, and... 
I'm going to remind people because it is the beginning of the month that if you want to sign up for the Post Wrestling Cafe, not only uh, do we have all of our regular bonus shows that go out on Tuesdays, we've got this month's Ask Away, a two-hour marathon mailbag show, but those that are seeking a Rampage review from us, that will be part of Rewind to SmackDown. So Cafe members get live access to that show every Friday night, 10.15, well, it'll be 11.15 Eastern starting next week, and Cafe members will be getting SmackDown Rampage review immediately after in your podcast feed if you're not listening live. So it's a great time to join the Cafe, lots of great stuff, and if you want to go double-double, then you can be live with us Monday, Wednesday, Friday nights. What better way to spend three of your seven nights of the week? You're going to need a double-double for all that energy staying up late. So yes, it's always a lot of fun in the Zoom rooms, and we say hello to everybody joining us right now in Zoom, watching us live right after Dynamite. Yes, as they do each and every Wednesday. So uh, you can check all of that out, postwrestling.com, postwrestlingcafe.com, and let's dive into, uh, off the top, two two pretty uh, notable passings in the world of professional wrestling. I want to start off and just talk a little bit about uh, Jody Hamilton, the assassin first, who I mean, Jody Hamilton was a major, major figure in professional wrestling. And we talked about this a little bit way when Paul Orndorff passed away. And he was someone that was part of the national expansion. But over the years, I mean, he was not one of those heavily celebrated legends. And, you know, you go back and look at his career like it's unbelievable. And a Jody Hamilton never had any WWF exposure. And I think when you get some of these passings, like you really do see that divide of like a fan base that um, may have heard of the name, but don't really know of the the significance of an individual. And you just look at like the WWE for, I would say for worse and not for better. They really are the authors of a lot of history when it comes to general knowledge of legends of the industry. Yeah. I mean, I count myself as somebody in that category. Um, they are great, perhaps, um, keepers of their own history, perhaps great keepers of a history that they they would like us to remember. And uh, stories that exist outside of it, it's, it, they're rarely mentioned, unfortunately. We're not calling these guys the assassins. This is violence. They're going to be the instigators. <laughs> the troublemakers. Troublemakers. So... Getting back to a, a serious note here on uh, Jody Hamilton, um, he was someone he he put out a book with uh, Scott Teal in 2006. So you actually have like a pretty significant uh, documentation. You know, you know, it's something that I was really kicking myself over way is that when we left the Fight Network, I I took my stuff and I left a bunch of stuff in my office. And like a week later, I got a call and was like, there's a bunch of wrestling books here. Uh, do you want to like come back to get them and something. I was like, I'm not coming back. I'm not, I, whatever it is, just disperse among yourself. And I know this assassin's book was there of one of them. And damn it. I wanted that book this week. Oh, it's too bad. You should have went back. Picked yeah. it up. It's okay. It's, Maybe uh, it's they on, still have it. It's on Kindle for, for 10 bucks. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, I'll, I'll just pick it up the, uh, the digital way. But anyway, um, so Jody Hamilton, he had a, an older brother, uh, stepbrother, I believe, Larry Hamilton, who was also a wrestler, would wrestle as the Missouri Mauler. And Jody Hamilton got started like he he did, you know, a lot of, you know, he had quite the upbringing and he started his career in 1956. He was only 16 years old when he started, but him and his brother teamed up and they ended up going to New York uh, for Capital Sports. 
uh, which in- involved Vince McMahon Sr. And after several weeks of buildup, the, the two of them headlined Madison Square Garden against um, the enormous drawing tag team of Antonina Rocca and Miguel Perez. This was in May of 1958. And at the time, Jody Hamilton was the youngest person to headline Madison Square Garden at 19 years of age. That would eventually be broken by a couple of months by the Tonga Kid in 1984. But still, I mean, they were both, uh, you know, the two youngest to headline the, the Garden. So that was pretty significant. He would go through a lot of different territories. And it's in 1961 that he goes to Georgia Championship Wrestling and the idea was that they were going to bring him in with like this Russian character. They ended up shelving that aspect of it and he was just dubbed the assassin. And several months into that run is where he was paired with his most famous partner Tom Renesto and they became the assassins. He had just been wrestling as the assassin and they put the two of them together and this became one of the all-time great heel tag teams of the era of the 60s into the 70s they Georgia was their big territory they won titles all over the place they went to Florida they went to Canada they went to Australia uh, th- they hit so many different territories and were oh my god this fly that just flew by me dude it was like <laughs> it's one of those crazy insects that's Jesus it's all <laughs> white it was like Cody Rhodes like flying in here or something. It was like those black moths that you saw for Alistair Black's entrance, but it was all white. Jesus. Well, maybe this is what you're going to isolate. I do this great job running down his career, and you're going to isolate that 10 second clip, I bet. I'm not going to do it. Somebody might, but I won't. Okay, don't. Um, So anyway, it was was pretty big, and it's alive here, so it's going to go eat my Damian Abraham bobblehead over there. So The two are paired together, and it's in 1972 that you had the big uh, war in Atlanta. This is where um, Ray Gunkel had died, and Ann Gunkel took a significant amount of the NWA roster and ran counter to them. And that included taking Tom Renesto, who was the booker, and Jody Hamilton. And it was a very, very nasty promotional war from 72 to 74. And then when it was done, uh, All South, which did have success... Uh, They ended up closing shop and the assassins returned to Georgia. But at this point, Renesto is kind of pretty much putting his career. He's winding it down and Jody Hamilton would, would work singles. He would also try to reform the assassins with different partners with, with Randy Colley later with, with Hercules Hernandez in continental in 1985, he changed his character up and he went from the assassin to the flame and I put the video in the uh, story on him today. You have to watch this video. Like, this is just wild, okay? As he morphs into the flame. And then he would be with... He ended up forming a team with Roger Smith. And they were the f- fire and the flame. And it's like, like this promo to set it up is just incredible. And, dude, the, Jody Hamilton became an outstanding promo. Um Friend of the show, Mike Sempervivi, he posted this amazing promo this week. And it's Jody Hamilton cutting a promo on Jimmy Valiant. And he's so pissed. And he said, I've got two friends here. One's named Animal and one named Cannibal. And they're hungry. And I'm going to feed them 
on your face. And it was just the best <laughs> promo. And dude, the tone of which he said this was incredible. Like there was there was no ha ha about this promo. He's like, no, his fists are named Animal and Hannibal, and they are going to they are just going to dine on Jimmy Valiant's face. It's an incredible, incredible promo. Uh, so his his career goes until 1988. He had to retire due to a, a major back injury, and then kind of the the second chapter of his career was working behind the scenes in WCW. Uh, he did have an on screen presence for a time as a manager, with, uh, including with uh, Paul Orndorff and Paul Roma up until the end of '93. Then went into their Hall of Fame, uh, but he also really got the ball rolling of what would become the Power Plant and. And kind of spearheading that whole initiative. And say what you will, the power plant has been criticized for a lot of their um, their tactics. It was like a heavy conditioning-based school that would kind of just run guys out and wear them to death with, with drills and such. But, I mean, it was one that it was able to produce a Bill Goldberg, a Diamond Dallas Page. And for a Goldberg, like I was looking at this today, it's... Was Bill Goldberg the most skilled wrestler? Far from it. But my God, if we were to go through the list of of big men that have been thrown out there that have just totally flopped. It's like Goldberg was not the most seasoned guy, but he knew how to be Bill Goldberg and they knew how to book Bill Goldberg. And that combination was an enormous part of WCW's uh, success in 1998 and even keeping them up to the level that they were in 99 before the collapse. So he's there right until the end of WCW. And then he had he had developed Deep South Wrestling in the 80s and then sold it. And then another reincarnation of it, he reopens it. And it becomes the WWE's developmental program along with OVW from 2005 to 2007. And they got local television. And we even got uh, Deep South on the Fight Network that it For was airing time. up here. Yes, like it was correct. I mean, it was it was local television, like it was nothing fancy, but um, nonetheless, like pretty much, you know, a ton of names uh, went through there. And then in 2007, they completely just upended and got all their talent out of there. They moved them to Florida. That was the start of Florida Championship Wrestling. And Jody Hamilton even sued them over it. And there was an out of there was a undisclosed settlement uh, between the two sides. And and that was uh, largely, you know, the, the the end of that chapter. But uh, went into several Hall of Fames, was inducted into the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame back in 2015. Very, very famous tag team of the Assassins and a pretty a pretty notable figure in, jo- in Jody Hamilton, especially if you were someone that grew up on Georgia or, or Florida or some of these other spots that, but especially Georgia, that was the big territory. Seemed like a career that really spanned a lot of a lot of areas a lot of time and a lot of capacities in and generations too generation. like it's you're talking about someone that like headlined the garden at at the age he did and then is involved in like the WWE developmental program in the 2000s you know what i mean like mm-hmm. that was that was a lot of like from his upbringing it's very rare you see someone cross those generations and and have an, uh, an open mind towards things. Like he was someone that was uh, very helpful towards Paul Levesque in his WCW days. And then there he is in, in developmental as well. Like he he was not one of those guys that just shut the door on modern wrestling uh, during that time. And and you couldn't when you were, you know, working with, with WWE as he was. A wonderful 
recap of the man's very long career, John. And if you want to read about it, you can find John's excellent piece at postwrestling.com. Yeah, and I'll keep this one brief, but we, uh, there was also the passing of a Burt Prentice, who is a promoter that has just been around as long as I can remember. Just a a constant, especially within uh, Tennessee wrestling. And he is somebody that was essentially born right into wrestling because his, his mother, um, a lot of this is from a pretty in-depth interview he did with Jim Cornette a few years ago, going through his entire career. But his his mother was uh, worked in the box office for Vern Gagne and uh, several other uh, groups there in the Midwest. So he w- it was not foreign for him to be in locker rooms at a very young age. He was selling pictures by the time he was six and then doing ring announcing, refereeing. This is all before, like, before he's even 15 years old. And then he got involved. He was writing programs. I believe he was doing a newsletter. And he goes to a Southwest Championship Wrestling in 1983, which was Joe Blanchard, uh, Tully's father, his promotion, and ends up becoming a manager as Christopher Love managing Tully. So this was, um, that was in 1983, which was also the same year Southwest uh, got removed from the USA Network and WWF got onto USA. And that was where the relationship of WWF and USA uh, dates back to. But he had managerial stints uh, in global and then goes to Memphis, and that's where he pretty much put down his roots and would be involved there, you know, on and off, like pretty much throughout the the rest of his career. Uh, there was a period that he went over to promote uh, Ozark Mountain Wrestling, and that would morph into several different groups, including Music City Wrestling. And a lot of the younger WCW talent at the time, like a Shannon Moore, for instance, uh, kind of a lot of young talent got their start there, getting familiarity, working on local television. And he was able to get back into Nashville, promoting the Nashville fairgrounds. And then when TNA launched, you know, they started with that big show in Huntsville, Alabama, and then they had to scale down. And the Nashville fairgrounds was where they were going to run their Wednesday night pay-per-views. But Burke Prentice was able was kind of like running that building and they were able to work out a deal where they subleased it from Burt Prentice. And the interesting thing there is that TNA would run on Wednesday nights at the fairgrounds and Prentice would be promoting there on Saturdays. But as he outlined in this interview with all those stars on TNA, many that were coming off of national television over the last few years, they were just flooding the market with free tickets. So you really train the audience that, these shows that have all these big stars, we don't have to pay for them. And then Prentice is trying to promote local guys on Saturdays and had trouble selling tickets. And he said, this interview was 2017. He said the market never recovered from this in Nashville. Like it always became a struggle because uh, for two years, TNA ran these Wednesday night pay-per-views and it just got around that tickets were easy to come by. But he he said TNA paid him fantastic money while he was working with them. He co-hosted Explosion with Jeremy Borash. Uh, so, so that lasted for quite some time. And his last major company that he was running right up until the end was USA Championship Wrestling out of Jackson, Tennessee. And they had, um, they got local television there that he said they got free television. They didn't have to pay to get on there and was just, just running there with a lot of young stars, but also working in, the air, the the Tennessee legends, bringing in Lawler, bringing in Cornette, or any of you know the the legends that have all that cachet in in that state with um, the history of professional wrestling. But he had been battling cancer, and 
I mean, he was born in 58. I don't know the exact date. So, I mean, that would peg it. He was either 62 or 63. So not all that old, but, you know, j- just a name that has always been out there as a promoter doing, you know, local wrestling, which, I mean, you have to be a hustler to be doing it as long as he did in Tennessee, no less. Like that is just like, it's small town wrestling and doing it with, I mean, gosh, there's, there's probably many, many lessons to be learned, uh, positive and negative about uh, promotion that he has probably lived through many, many times over. I'll bet. Yeah. Uh, I don't know many people who probably would want to stick with that game for as long as it's a hustle like man. this has, but, uh, yeah, our condolences. Uh, let's move on over to, I guess, one of, if not the biggest story uh, of the last 24 hours, and that was the episode of AEW Dark uh, featuring Max Caster's rap. And did you see the rap, Way? I did. Pulled? Okay. Yes. So it's available. Those, it's out there. It's it's probably not too hard to find. I, I actually did see it on the original file before they had uh, edited it off of there. But, um, you know, straight from uh, Andrew's update today, it... Pretty much like the major things that upset a lot of people were uh, the lines about Simone Biles and her mental health issues, about the Duke lacrosse rape case. There was a line there about Julia Hart. There was one about uh, fake Every PCR line was, tests. Was bad. Every line uh, yeah, was it's just degrees. It's degrees of what you want to choose to be uh, upset over. You could certainly make a case for all of them. Um, I said on Monday, I, w- I was not happy that... Simone Biles got inserted into Charlotte Flair's promo. Uh, so you, you can imagine what my thought was here. I thought this was much worse. Uh, S- Simone Biles, it's like, this is a sexual abuse survivor. Okay? So when someone like that is going through mental health struggles, probably not fair game to be throwing out here for bad promo material. So I was amazed that this got through the channels it did for... Something that would have been done last Wednesday, and this was Tuesday. Tony Khan did address this on Busted Open Radio, and uh, this was uh, transcribed by Andrew today. Uh, Speaking of dark last night, Max Caster's rap was terrible. I was not out there in the moment when he did it. It was not during Dynamite. I was out back when Max had said the rap. I had not heard it until last night, truthfully. In the editing process, it should have been caught. We deleted the episode and reposted it with that edited out. But it shouldn't have aired, and I put such tight controls on Dynamite, and this would have never happened there, because Max's raps, I always have gone over with him, and frankly, every segment on Dynamite. I don't script or write wrestlers' promos, but the bullet points I give. So in this case, it shouldn't have happened, and what will happen going forward is I will be taking over the editing of Dark and Elevation myself. I was already editing Dynamite and Rampage, and I do a lot, and now I also will be editing Dark and Elevation. So you know, it's unfortunate that it came to that. This is a response. And uh, to be, to be clear, I, I haven't heard the interview, but just reading that, this sounds like someone that was extremely upset and it should not be this extent that Tony Khan has to do everything. This should like, dude, a rape joke getting through on a promo. It's, if you want to give them the greatest benefit of the doubt that Max Caster somehow felt that this edgy care, these edgy raps that I have to do have to toe that line. There are still more channels that this never should have aired on Tuesday night. Uh, how anyone hears that the next day and says, you know what? That's just too far. I just can't believe it got to the point that 
it got through whatever check checkoff process it was, and this was deemed fine. Yeah, um, you know, I think it's one of the issues when we really applaud AEW as an environment where talents are able to have a lot of creative freedom to be able to do a whole lot of what they want. And often, sometimes that's really to the detriment. And when you're producing as much content as you are, when you know your AEW dark and elevation sessions are as long as they are, things are going to slip through the cracks. And that's not an excuse because a lot of people got to watch this. Um, the people involved probably should have known better. You know, the tag team that actually was uh, did this entrance probably should have known better. Um, it's it, nonetheless, I, I felt it was. Um, a good response from Tony Khan. I thought it was really important for the leader to come out and immediately discredit this and to say that this does not represent what our company should represent and that we screwed up and we made a mistake. Um, it's, you know, it's, this is unfortunate. It's like, it's easy to perhaps say like, this is the character. Okay. This is supposed to be like, you know, the Thugonomic Cena. It's supposed to be edgy. I feel like this is definitely on a far different level and, and it's every single line, not even just that one line. Um, and really Max Caster, I feel like should have, should have known better for his age. Um, and you know, I'm sure this will be a big lesson to, to anybody coming out with their own material. And you know what? It's reasons like this that, um, will stifle ultimately maybe some of that freedom that that creative freedom that people have. Tony Khan's going to want to look through every single promo, every single word that is said on all of these shows from this point on. That's the last guy that needs two and a half hours more of of eyes on a program to be going out. Like this, this shouldn't be a point where this guy has to add more to his plate. Like that should be a, an ability to delegate. Well, I think it's as much much of an issue of PR as anything else, too, right? I mean, a lot of people are busy in that locker room, but I think Tony Khan probably wants its audience to know that I am going to personally see that this does not happen again. Whether or not in execution that becomes the case six months from now, we shall see. But I mean, this is Tony basically saying this will not happen again, and I will personally see to that. I know whenever – and these are going to come up again. Like that's – it's just inevitable that you're going to run into these issues. And Listen, I, I'm not standing here and stating like, you know, someone's head has to roll for this, but there does need to be a certain condemnation when something like this happens and not just a shrug of the shoulders. And there is going to be a contingent of people that just groan when people get upset at this stuff. But I honestly believe that, you know, you, you look back at the, the late 90s and what flew in pro wrestling and what flew, frankly, just in everyday society that... I don't look back as it's like the good old days. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I think that we can hold people to much higher standards where just getting in a line for the sake of entertainment somehow uh, throws real world issues aside that that's not something like your audience. I'm glad the audience cares about this stuff more that people's well-beings are actually taken into account rather than just entertainment and all gloves are off. I mean, it's, like this this is clearly going off on, on a tangent but when you look at at the treatment of certain stories in in the past like i'm i'm glad we are living in a time where the treatment of someone like a monica lewinsky would never happen today as it did in 1998 
we have progressed further, that we would never treat someone like that. And it wouldn't be cannon fodder for late night comedians to essentially slut shame on a nightly basis. I think that's an improvement on society that we have these checks and balances that, yeah, rape jokes, that's that doesn't fly on the wrestling program I want to watch. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's still, you know, comedy that might go into those territories whenever um, something hits the pop culture landscape, but it's continues to be a, a learning period. I would say for our society in general, about where that line is between uh, edginess and, you know, um, something that just is far too much for people to be entertained by. And this, though, I feel like was pretty obvious from the get-go. From the time Max Caster put pen to paper um, and put this material out there, I mean, I feel like he should have known by this point. It's in 2021. Um, other things, of course, you know, could be a bit more of a gray area. It's a debate that people continue to have. But uh, I agree, you know, more m- more empathy, I think, for other people is not a bad thing. All right, moving on from that story, um, just uh, going here, Allegiant Stadium has put out this statement. I won't read the entire thing, but the key thing here is that in response to rising COVID-19 cases and in accordance with the CDC and the state of Nevada, all individuals, regardless of vaccination status, must wear a face mask while inside the stadium. Currently, the state of Nevada and CDC do not currently require proof of vaccination to attend events and says that individual events held at Allegiant Stadium may also implement heightened COVID protocols. So please read all correspondence regarding an individual event carefully. So from that language, it sounds like SummerSlam, if you are attending, you will need to wear a mask. Yeah, great. And this, I mean, this could certainly be a case in in many places. I mean... Uh, we're going to talk about a show in Jacksonville. It is like Jacksonville. It just sounds like like the hospitalization rate is through the roof. It's like Jacksonville has been hit very bad. Yeah. Um, and different jurisdictions will do something about these numbers and some won't. But I, I think at some point, you know, we have to realize that we're really far from out of the woods from this entire thing. And it's a reminder to the entire world who, you know, like us, have been kind of enjoying perhaps some of the freedoms that we've been without for a year and a half, that they're still being threatened um, every day. So a little bit of precaution right now will probably ultimately, hopefully, save us, save a lot of people, you know, a lot of headaches down the road. All right, let's get into tonight's edition of Dynamite. All your news can be found at postwrestling.com. Tonight, Jacksonville, Florida, Daly's Place, Kicking things off with Chris Jericho versus Juventud Guerrera in 2021. Their first matchway since February of 1999. Mm-hmm. It's quite a while. Uh, place went crazy for Judas. And Jericho comes out. He's bandaged from the Nick Gage match. And MJF is out on commentary referring to Nick Gage as an idiot for not getting the job done last week. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Nick Gage, I wanted to quickly plug a great essay submitted on our website by a guest contributor, uh, and and I'm going to butcher this name, but basically, it, it Aniello De Angelis. He is a film student who uh, asked us if we wanted to post his Nick Gage essay that he did for a course. Uh, it is an excellent 
excellent piece of uh, writing right there. So look up Murder, Death, Kill, posted today on our website if you want to learn a little bit more about the legend of Nick Gage. Uh, MJF, uh, so MJF ran down Nick Gage, uh, Hoovy's out 46 years old and the match begins and he goes for this Rana off the top and it didn't look like it was, it was well-timed. So he went again for this executing a head scissors and just seemed off these, like the first minute to the point that Jim Ross even openly asked if Hoovy was rusty and MJF denies that Hoovy looks rusty at all. Um, Things kind of got going here. Hoovy used these spin kicks and uppercuts and the rings of Saturn. And Jericho, of course, the stipulation is has to win by a move coming off of the top turnbuckle. So he used a double axe handle, which did not keep Hoovy down. And then he executes a double underhook backbreaker, but Aubrey won't count because that was a grounded move. He's tearing away at the mask of Hoovy, blocks a Rana on the ropes, and jumps off into the walls... And Hoovy gets to the rope. So I guess this walls would have counted because it came, it didn't come off the top rope. It did come off the second, but I guess close enough. I don't know if it would have counted if it's yeah. the second rope. Yeah. It w- they did specify top rope. But I it- guess he was sitting on the top. I guess. Yeah. That one, that, that would have been certainly one. I would have protested if I was Hooventude. Hoovy does get him up for a Hoovy driver, gets a two count, and then comes off the ropes into a Judas effect, can't cover him, so Jericho climbs to the top, does not go for the shooting star press, but instead the super Judas effect in 950, Jericho gets the victory. Yeah, when they announced Hooventu Guerrera, um, it was a surprising name. Uh, the match, I, I don't know if I was necessarily anticipating... Um, in the context of a show like Dynamite, I thought nostalgically it was definitely worth doing it just to kind of see this pairing. But at the same time, um, when you try to redo your classic rivalries from the past, you really can't help but make comparisons to what they created in their prime. And unfortunately, this is a style that gets progressively more difficult to replicate with the aging of the performers. It's also a style that has evolved to such a high standard today than compared to 30 years ago that... Um, you know, we have to put a lot of qualifiers perhaps to this one in order to really say that this was a good match. I thought it was captivating, but it was sloppy as hell. And, you know, maybe Juventud Guerrero, you could say, was always kind of like this. But um, on on Dynamite, when everybody is wrestling this style now and doing it so much better, you know, it's it's you can't really just kind of give this one a pass anymore. Yeah, I think this one they really got through based on the personalities involved. And I mean, they really took to Jericho as a big baby face. And I think there was a novelty to Juventud Guerrera wrestling. Uh, but it this was, uh, I think it was an average match. And a lot of that was the, the audience, especially towards the end, at least getting inspired, I guess, by the closing stretch. Which I thought the- they, they did seem to finally get like their rhythm going towards the end. The beginning was a struggle. Yeah, I thought the top rope gimmick actually worked. I thought they, you know, set up great little spots to communicate that this was the rule and Jericho couldn't win. And it helped allow Jericho to introduce a a new super finisher to the the repertoire. Yeah, we got the super Judas effect. So Wardlow attacks both men and pulls off Jericho from the turnbuckle into a knee. So both are down and MJF announces Wardlow as the fourth labor. And the stipulation is that MJF will be ringside for the match. And this is going to happen next week in Pittsburgh. 
you know, we were talking about all these possibilities of who the the remaining labor could be, and it's a little disappointing that it's not somebody else from the outside. That little game was just kind of fun, you know, that guessing Could it be Lance? But I'm not mad at Wardlow in the end. It should be him. Ultimately, these things should be there to to promote the talent that is going to, you know, stay with your company and not necessarily, you know, just uh, for that big surprise pop. Um, it will benefit Wardlow to be, you know, uh, put in here as sort of like the semifinal boss for MJF. So I look forward to the match. Yeah, I mean, it gives you next week is the 11th. So that gives you like three solid weeks of bit like presuming like you just set up the match coming out of this. And then you have a few weeks of promos between Jericho and MJF. Like it times out well to like peak for the pay-per-view. Or do you have Wardlow beat him with MJF screwing him? I don't see them doing that. That sounds way too close to Omega and Page that I think this is one. Like, why divert? Well, first of all, to protect Wardlow. Secondly, to add a bit more heat and to give you a bit more time before peaking for All Out. I mean, you've only got the three weeks. I would say, I think you've got, I think you've got to give Wardlow a lot in this match, but Jericho wins. And then Chelsea. you just get to the match. Dasha was with the Lucha Brothers and Alex Abrahantis. Pa- uh, Pac is not there. His travel was canceled. So Andrade and Chavo walk in and promise the Lucha Bros first class treatment if they join them. But Phoenix says we don't work for anyone and Penta turns them down. Is this a legit story? Like did, did Pac's flight actually get canceled? Because I have to say Pac's attendance during this AEW run has, has not been that great. He might get a card or something. Yeah, he might not get to graduate if he's late any more times. Yeah. You're well, like missing a show again. Shivani interviewed the Dark Order. Um I don't know what this was, but like the audio, it sounded like they were um like they were they'd gone scuba diving here. Like this was like they were underwater trying to communicate. It sounded fine to me. Oh, my my end, it sounded all wacky at the beginning. Uh Paige walks in, apologizes for costing the Dark Order their tag title shot. He's got to fix the problems with Omega and the Young Bucks, but he's going to do it alone, and it's best we go our separate ways. And says, for now, we're done, and members are all upset, but Evil Uno says, if that's what he needs, then we've got to let him do it. So that would uh, continue in a segment later on tonight. On Tuesday, they announced this six-man that they were adding to the show with John Moxley, Darby Allin, and Eddie Kingston teaming up against Daniel Garcia... And 2.0, the former Ever-Rise, Jeff Parker and Matt Lee. And they did just a short promo. And I thought like this was, you know, just a a cool match to add. Daniel Garcia is someone, man, I remember years ago uh, leaving a show and a local promoter and wrestler, Sebastian Suave, told me, Daniel Garcia is a guy to keep your eyes on. This guy is really good. And this dude is still only 22 years old. He looked awesome here. Immediately seems like a great fit for this roster and the style that they offer and the the youth that this roster offers. So definitely uh, somebody to keep our eyes on for the next years. Excalibur brought up the history involving Eddie Kingston and 2.0 from their time in Chikara and other Northeast Indies. Uh, Kingston uh, came in and he gets chop blocked. They go through the break and it's just Kingston selling his knee significantly. Moxley um, attacks Garcia on the floor, running him into the rail and then uh, we have a spot where Kingston tosses Parker out. 
2.0 stand up together and there is Sting and they're in awe of him and you're not even ready for this. Darby dives through and just kills these guys. It looked insane, this dive. It comes out of nowhere. Kingston makes the tag. Moxley is in. He's destroying Lee. Uh, the Urican is hit to Parker. And then Garcia comes off the top, is caught in midair with a paradigm shift, and Darby finishes him with the coffin drop in seven minutes, eight seconds. And Kingston and Moxley pose with Sting as the baby faces all occupy the ring. I thought this was a really fun six-man. Really fun six man, yeah. Great showcase for the baby faces, but uh, more importantly to me, uh, I think a great first dynamite appearance for Garcia in two point You know, these two they they had I, I they had more than I expected in NXT to be honest, but they didn't really come out with uh, uh, of it with a ton. But it was just enough to I think show the hardcore fan base how charismatic these two are, and something like a dark or a BTE is a perfect place for those two to build on that momentum. Garcia is an interesting one because there's the part of me that says this guy's 22. It's like we just go out and and work, go to Japan, go all over the place. And when you're 23, 24, I mean, you'll be so much better and then come to AEW. That's also with the thinking that. Like, what is kind of the the demand for a, a Daniel Garcia? Because under normal circumstances, you'd have AEW and NXT tripping over themselves to sign this guy immediately. Um, is that still the NXT mindset of just scooping up talent that is that is available, that is young, that is showing uh, that potential? Um, you know, I could see it both ways. Like for a Garcia, it's just bringing him in. How much work is he going to get on a weekly basis versus... You're 22. Just go out there and and just do all the independence you can, travel, and by the time you're 24, you're going to be that much more seasoned. It's a personal question for him. Yeah, you know how how much can what are the offers available to him outside of it? What does he want personally? Does he have family commitments? You know, does what are the money offers that, that he's receiving? Um, a lot and of that's variables. a tough decision to make even now. Like, what what are my what are my Japanese options now? And do I want to be waiting for a couple of months where I don't even know when stuff is going to be uh, easing up restriction wise. So, I mean, it'd be very hard to turn down uh, a contract if it, if it came your way, there was a feature on team Taz and Brian cage stating he got here himself. He didn't even benefit by being part of the group and Ricky Stark stating he's going to show what a real champion is. Then we go backstage to our basketball scene with the elite. And it starts with Carl Anderson, who is spinning a ball after the count of 2012, his lucky number. Then Nick lands his trick shot from behind the backboard. And I guess the biggest talking point was decoding what all of the outfits and signs meant here. We had Gallows wearing a Ric Flair robe who then offered their Dark Order uh, Impact tag title shot next week. Then we had uh, Carl Anderson wearing a Bollywood Boys shirt. And then we had Kenny Omega wearing a CM Cookie Monster shirt. Mm-hmm. And I and believe we, had... we got a what time is it question referring to clobbering time. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah, we also had uh, the Bucks wearing... You know, maybe classic Wyatt style Hawaiian shirts, if you want to look into perhaps that. So, 
Um, these are all, of course, people that are free agents right now that are ex WWE uh, members. So they know exactly what they're doing, getting people talking. It's fun. These are little Easter eggs. The way we, you know, uh, break down on on uh, you know MCU later. So I I love this level of detail put into some of this thought. This was a pretty like uh interesting segment not just because of the clothing but like the amount of baskets that they actually sank in this one take um i thought was really impressive okay first of all like they they pass the thing back and forth and then they pass it to nick who shoots it from behind the backboard all one take everybody they all they all cut their promos kenny gets into a promo where he's talking about like such and such as he sinks two baskets. Yes, they are from close range, but still we've seen like we've we've seen mistakes happen from close range uh, plenty of times. And then he was called upon to miss the third one. So this promo really hinged on him making those two and they nailed everything. So it was like it, it was quite the convoluted like uh, chore- choreography for this promo segment and uh, they hit everything. Shivani uh, plugged the Suicide Squad coming out this Friday. A Warner property. Yep. And we're also getting a special AEW dart this Friday night at 10 p.m. Eastern time. So it's going to be a busy week for Tony Khan. Well, I mean, getting their use audience warmed up to Fridays at 10, I guess. Yeah, that's what I figured was the rationale behind this. I, I don't know if this is going to really change viewing habits significantly on a week's notice but sure it could be a way to i don't know test broadcast signals who knows uh there's there's probably some good reason for it i mean this is only going on youtube i would say if if the idea was just get that AEW fan to turn tune into something i would have at least done a promo or an angle for dark on this show like send people to dark if that's the case of getting them in that habit of hey we're gonna make an announcement friday at 10 o'clock I think they want to give us a break, you know, most of us, for one more week. Well, then why even do this? I don't know, dude. No idea. Christian Cage took on the blade uh, with the bunny in her corner. Christian Cage is undefeated. They reminded us many, many times. And Cage attacked the blade on the ramp, and they brought up that because of this, Rick Knox never had a chance to check the blade for the brass knuckle, so it gave him a reason to have the brass knuckles on him. The bunny interferes, and that prompts Layla Hirsch to come out and fight the bunny to the back. Uh, we go through the break. It's all the blade in control. Cage then leaps off the top onto blade on the floor, uh, grabs his knee after landing it. Cage is hitting the punches in the corner. He gets up to 10 and then goes to 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Rick Knox is like, just keep going. It's cool. And then Cage gave up. Knox fixes the turnbuckle so his back is turned and Blade has the knuckles, gets hit by a spear, and Cage pins him in 946. They pushed him. He's undefeated. He keeps moving forward. I thought technically this was like, uh, this was a good, like nothing to complain about this match. It was just like a very straightforward match with two, you know, good workers. Um, It was good. I don't have anything negative to say about it, but... uh. I also don't have like endless praise either to heap. I mean, that really is the Christian style right now. And when you say the name, meat Christian and potatoes, Cage, good wrestling. Yes. Yeah. When you say Christian Cage, I don't think many people get excited 
about you know the prospect of of that type of match um maybe other than tony khan and that's the only person whose opinion really matters in the end but for your average audience i mean the name christian cage does not necessarily inspire the level of excitement of say like a darby allen um i also think that's why he stands out is because he is he's somebody who you is incredibly dependable and is able to work a different style based on fundamentals based on just you know patience and working the crowd to get those reactions and i think there's a lot for everybody to learn from when watching his matches that are a lot more subtle than maybe you know a perfect flip or something like that he always always gets these crowds they're not you know maybe if if for the main event they're at a a 10 you know the max that a crowd might get to for a christian match might be like an eight but nonetheless like he's incredibly consistent and I am curious to see this Kenny Omega match to see what because Kenny is a twelve, not even ten. Kenny's a twelve. What level will a Christian style kind of merge to with, with Kenny look like? So um, they're building him for that match, and you know after that we'll see what what Christian's role is in this company. So earlier uh, last week, uh, after Natalia suffered her ankle injury, she posted the. This, the image, like the moment, like the neck or the, the ankle contorted. And it was like this awful angle. It's like, oh, my God, it just looked like brutal. So I thought that that is the that is the worst thing you were going to see this week. Well, AEW went a step further here because they found every still shot and image of Cash Wheeler's arm from last week, including the shot of the skin like ripping against the turnbuckle how they found this they they do a close-up of his arm just like it's been hacked with like a saw and just a bucket of blood that is underneath it all of this is over top dax harwood cutting like the promo of his life yelling this shit ain't worth it i saw my best friend lay in a pool of his blood but then says is he gonna come back Death couldn't stop him. And we also had comments from Santana and Ortiz with Ortiz stating that this is far from over. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this thing, man. Oh, you know, man. you you use reality to your advantage to further the story that you were going to tell, that you are still going to try to continue to tell. Uh, it was an awful, awful looking injury. I'm sure the past week was not fun for this man. But this was also, you know, a bit of reality that you're injecting now into this feud that they can definitely capitalize on. And they are capitalizing on, you know, seeing perhaps the result of of this, though, it's like it's hard to call an audible in the moment. But I do feel like Proud and Powerful should have won either that or they should have just stopped the match, probably, you know, and called it a no contest. And I don't think anybody would have complained because you have in the coming out, the story coming out of it. It's basically Proud and Powerful claiming victory, even though they took the pinfall you know, last week, it, like they were the ones who maimed their opponent. So, you know, like, it's not like we'll really remember every single winner or loss, I suppose. But I think going forward, that's the story they're going to be telling. And it's going to be a harder rematch whenever it happens. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to criticize because I mean, God, they were just in, they're on a live show to think on the fly. Well, how about um, no contest, John? Well, um, I, I would say like, even if they had Tully there, like just throw in the towel you know what i mean like it's a total justifiable ending something like that like it's totally believable but i mean god they they have this whole thing mapped out there's no way you could foresee that something like this happening Mm -hmm. so i mean you just kind of have to chalk it up to that 
Tony Schiavone then brought out Britt Baker. You know, I talked about how busy Kevin Patrick was on Raw. Dude, Tony Schiavone is just like, like, what do you think his Fitbit's reading after an episode of Dynamite? This guy's running all over the place. He's never yeah. sitting down there at the, the announce table. He's in the back. He's in the front. He's doing pre-tapes. He's got to come interview concussed Cody. Like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. This guy's just running all over the place. He doesn't get to sit. Yeah, why don't they like, like, JR can't walk up and leave, or Excalibur, I, I suppose? Like, Excalibur, you get this one. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Britt Baker and Rebel come out, and she brings up winning the title here in Jacksonville at Double or Nothing, and she's interrupted by Red Velvet. She says that red is not your color to Britt, and she wants a piece of the DMD. Baker brings up their match from last September, where she beat Red Velvet in three minutes. Well, Red Velvet says things have changed, and my record is now 22-4 and four with seven straight wins, and I didn't have to cheat to win. Great line, you know? Like, for people who have not seen Red Velvet on Dynamite for a long, long time, um, this reminded us that this was a different person. She has amassed a great number of wins since then. She, her confidence is so strong. She did a great job convincing us that she was a different person now. I, every, in every instance I've seen her, you know, cut a big promo, she has impressed me so much. And, you know, again, to, to realize her age, like she just has incredible confidence for, for that limited uh, life experience. This is the argument Leon Edwards has to make to Kamaru Usman of how many, how many fights he's gone unbeaten and still can't get a welterweight title fight. So they make the match for the debut of Rampage on August 13th in Pittsburgh. So we have one match for the debut of, of Rampage. I was very surprised, Way, that we went off the air today without... I, I thought, like, like th this match is fine. To me, it's, it still needs something big for that first episode. And I would have wanted to do it now. Like, yes, you can do it on social media. I would not want to wait until Wednesday to set up, like, if you have a big match to play for Rampage, of waiting till next Wednesday to announce that. I would, I would have wanted to go off the air tonight with what is what is Rampage going to be, and Dynamite next week is almost the setup for Rampage. Hmm. Yeah, it makes you wonder what, who it could be. I imagine, you know, it would be somebody um, who's involved in a major storyline, Um and maybe or they're, they're going to make this the main event. They're banking on Pittsburgh being a red hot for Britt Baker, and they're going to put the women in this really big spot. Yeah, it's only Which I think a one it's hour. great for the live crowd. It's for your debut. Like that's that's putting a lot of faith in this match, especially a challenger that you have not been building on Dynamite. It's only a one hour show, so it's gonna. This is this match would presumably take up a big chunk of it, but I also feel like it probably needs something major, you know, in terms of star power, which I do think we'll have announced next week. So Chavo is with Andrade and says he's hired Fuego del Sol, but he informs him his task is to shine Andrade's shoes. He's confused because this is what this is not what he signed up for. So Andrade beats the hell out of him. And he's on the ground, and Chavo says the Lucha Brothers will never be champions as long as they work with Pac. Yeah, you know, this entire storyline is them, like, taunting the Lucha Brothers for being subordinates to Pac. Um, so and, come be a subordinate know. for us, like this guy? This isn't really wooing yeah. me either. Mm. Well, I mean, that's part of the, the, the gimmick, I suppose. Um 
I do think, you know, I don't have much to say about this right now. I think it's just getting going um, and, and not really kind of like capturing my, my interest just yet. But I do think having Chavo there for, as a mouthpiece for Andrade and Andrade simply staying back and looking cool makes Andrade come across a lot better. Yeah, for me, the jury's still out on Chavo. I'm waiting to see. It hasn't, uh, it hasn't, it hasn't grabbed me yet, but it's early. Shivani interviews Hangman Page in the ring. He's interrupted by the elite before he can share with Tony what's going on. Omega calls Hangman a tryhard, and he considered forgiving Page for all of his vices and personal demons, but Page doesn't fit the bill anymore of what we are now. The elite doesn't have any losers or failures that play second fiddle. And Page nails Omega, but then gets beaten down and hit with a magic killer. The Dark Order want to come out and save him, but Uno and Grayson back up the other Dark Order members and don't allow them to come save Page. And with that, Page takes three BTE triggers before Frankie Kazarian makes his way through. He gets some offense in, but then he too is beaten down. The highlight being Michael Nakazawa taking the basketball over his head and just slamming it against Frankie Kazarian. There's that. It was Brandon Cutler using the cold spray on all the all their opponents as well. Yeah, it was fun. And, Ome- and Omega tells Hangman, you will never be champion and lays him out with a belt shot. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed the furthering of this story on this show. And again, for everybody who's concerned that Paige is not going to be the guy because Punk or Brian are coming in. Just like, again, look at the story here. He is the main character. He is the protagonist. He is Luke Skywalker at the end of The Empire Strikes Back here. You know, this is the temporary victory for the villains to set up the down-in-the-dumps hero, um, you know, making a, his comeback. And I really enjoyed the little side story they're telling with Paige, not just his inner confidence, but now having his inner confidence affect his friendship with the Dark Order and the Dark Order having to, you know, like choose between doing the what they think is best for their friend and respecting their friend's wishes. It's making the Dark Order more relatable good guys. Uh, it's making Paige, you know, that much more endearing and likable as a hero. So whether or not he has that match at all out, I have full confidence that by the time he does challenge Kenny, he will be red hot. Yeah, I mean, this... This segment was very much like they do not want you to forget about this. It's not like we're just moving page into the background. Like they're th- this was almost like a wink to the audience. Like you, put your faith in Hangman Page. We know. Like that line, mm-hmm. you will never be champion. I mean, that was that was I think that reached anyone that was doubting where this is all supposed to end. Then just out of left field. Dan Lambert's coming next week because he did not finish telling the truth. And he's bringing some backup next week. I'm cool with this. Bring Dan Lambert every week. I am so cool with this. I was so happy to see that this was not just a one-off. You know, they made specific connection, of course, to Lance Archer, who delivered his uh, finisher to Lambert. So presumably Lance Archer, Dan Dan Lambert's going to bring somebody to challenge Lance Archer for the U.S. championship the New Japan U.S. Championship. What a weird world we live in. And who do you think this could be, John, in Dan Lambert's space? I mean, they had Masvidal there specifically last time. Jorge Masvidal versus Lance Archer for the New Japan Pro Wrestling maybe, United maybe States Archer Championship. Lo- maybe Archer loses the belt and we will get Jorge Masvidal versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. 
<laughs> yes, of course. The BMF title versus the New Japan US Championship. Yes. How about that? Hiroshi, it ends with Hiroshi Tanahashi, BMF champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. Like, this is obviously, that was not just, you know, a one-off with Dan Lambert and they'll do something next week and presumably like like Masvidal seemed like the one they because you remember that was the the week of the McGregor Poirier fight and Masvidal was already there in Vegas like they specifically flew him down back down to Florida so he could be there in the crowd with with Dan Lambert perhaps it just I just don't see you know Jorge Masvidal doing any sort of in-ring wrestling even a clothesline or something I mean they're but. not even saying wrestling I mean it's just backup it's just like it could be just an appearance so it's you know it's well, well ultimately it should add to a match and Bruce Lord here in the chat room is suggesting filthy Tom Lawler what do you think I mean yeah I mean you have the the, the MLW connection there of with and the new Japan and the new Lambert. Japan connection if it's for the U.S. title yeah, you're right. It could be. It could very well be a way to introduce the open, uh, the strong open weight championship, so that we can have mm-hmm. another title uh, introduced here on AEW. Uh, well, there are a lot of shows. Um, shows need titles. As we go to the TNT Championship match with Miro and Lee Johnson, so Johnson comes off the turnbuckle. And is caught and just hit with this side slam. And he is stomped in the back. Lee retreats to the floor to avoid game over. We go through the break. Miro is dominating him. But then Johnson starts his comeback. He's able to send Miro to the floor. He hits a pair of Tope Suicidas. And then goes for a Tope Con Hero. Where he was supposed to be caught. But he had so much momentum that Miro... It was almost like he he like pile drove this guy onto the ground. But they just kept going here. Uh, he hits a high cross on Miro in the ring, only gets a one count. And then, after landing on his feet from a German, Johnson lays him with five kicks. And Miro is progressively staggering, finally goes down. I thought Miro's selling was tremendous here. Like, he was playing the champion that he, he is the dominant champion, but suddenly he gets caught. And he's, like, really selling for this guy. And it leads to the frog splash where Johnson gets a two count. That was his big spot. Dustin Rhodes is out cheering for Lee. And then Miro, from his back, grabs him by the throat. Lee comes off the ropes, met with a kick, stomp, game over in 938. And then the best visual, Miro gets on his knees and just offers the title up to God. The Redeemer. That's right. Uh, like, I thought uh, this Abraham was... offering his son Isaac as a sacrifice. Just like that, yeah. Uh, I thought this was a really fun match. You know, another great showcase for Miro, who really is on a different level right now. He is very different from Rusev Day. He's more like, you know, the, the Bulgarian brute monster he was when he first debuted on the on the WWE main roster. But I would say a far evolved, way better version of even that guy who can now speak for himself and who can deliver tremendous promos. Uh, you know, the other person, like these TNT title matches, they're often great showcases for the opponents. And I didn't think that was any different for Lee Johnson here. He looked very solid, very capable to sell for a monster in a position like this. It, you know, it's not, I can't really, I don't know if he showed me enough to, to feel like he was worthy of like maybe a, a, a leading role just yet. But I think this was definitely a worthwhile appearance for somebody on his level. And I hope they use him a lot more often on Dynamite. For Rampage, 
The broadcast team for August 13th will consist of Excalibur, Jericho, Mark Henry, and Taz. A four-man booth. It's a lot, yeah. Four-man booth. That's a lot of traffic. It's also babyface Jericho now, which is a departure from what we have used to when he's been on commentary in the past. I mean, Mark Henry is... Taz will be the heel. He will be. It's just... There's a lot going on here with, with four people at once. Like, we talk about three-man being a lot. Four is going to be, especially with two that are not regular broadcasters that Excalibur and Taz are. Yeah, I, I feel like Taz and Excalibur will really kind of, like, um, lead the team. I, I, I'm interested to see how may, how much of a fixture, permanent fixture Jericho is. You know, we've heard, heard him plenty of times join the commentary desk on a, on a Dynamite where those ultimately become four-man booths. I feel like they, they probably know their way around maybe navigating all that. And I would assume Jericho was, is maybe just there for like the initial period just to kind of give the, that added bump to Dynamite uh, Rampager's debut. Um, and Mark Henry, we'll see what he has as a commentator. I, I don't believe I've heard him do the job before. Yeah, I mean, it uh, could be a revelation. We will see. Tony is with Christian Cage, who is officially the number one contender for the AEW title said that Layla Hirsch came out to help you. Are you going to help her tonight against the bunny? He said he went up to Layla to offer his help. And you know what she said? He starts singing the Golden Girls theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a reference, honestly, I I don't really get. I never watched the Golden Girls, did you? No, no. I missed that generation. Yeah, I, even on reruns, it, it was not a show that, that really caught my attention. But I mean, I know the song. Yeah, He said he came back here to cement his legacy, win titles. Next week, he'll be in Pittsburgh for both shows. And he's going to show he's better than good. I'm elite. He's elite, sure. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was okay. You know, it, it, it tells the story. We know he's the next challenger, sure. The bunny came out with the Hardy family office to take on Layla Hirsch, who had Chuck Taylor. Just to hold that thought, do you think they might do that on on that rampage? Well, it's too soon, I guess, right? I'll tell you, if they're they're doing Omega and Christian Cage on rampage, that 1,000% should have been made clear tonight. Mm, Yeah. You should not be doing that on Twitter or next week's Dynamite on two days notice. Yeah, and maybe they aren't. Maybe yeah, they... that that could be all out. That could be they could have some crazy idea, and they're going to do Christian and Omega on one of the Chicago TVs. Like it's mm-hmm. they, they've got a lot of different things to play. They could put a title match on the United Center show. Yeah, yep. So the we we had like ten thousand people in each person's corner here uh, from the Hardy family office: Chuck Taylor, Orange Cassidy, Chris Statlander, and Wheeler Yuta. There are a lot of best friends. Can you have so many best friends? You're really just friends. No, you got to pick point. one. Okay, you get one yeah. best friend. You They're get a circle friends. of friends, but you only get one best friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe maybe each one is a best friend with the other. Yes. Uh, so, a correction on my part from last week. This is not an eliminator for the AEW women's title, but an, uh, an eliminator for the NWA women's title. And there in the front row is Camille. Who I would, a... I, would, I would seriously question how many... Like, I guess... You didn't need to go super in-depth. It's like, she's the NWA Women's Champion. That's all you need to know. But I would imagine many people were seeing Camille for the first time. Even with this audience that is probably more aware of other pro wrestling. It's possible. But, I mean, at the same time, this was an audience that wanted to see the... 
like Warpath. What was his name? Uh, Warpath. What like the guy? The guy that they campaigned to get on the uh, TNT title shot. Um, <laughs> you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who they brought in? Yeah, I forget yeah, they- his name. Well, Camille Warhorse. Was... Thank you, chat room. Warhorse. Like this is a good, this is an audience that like looks, goes crazy for Warhorse. You know, they like they they. I think they know who she is. All right, enough well, people no, know who well, she is. To be fair, no one was going crazy for Camille when she walked into the ring. They weren't going crazy, but they know who she is, or at least, and I think enough people know. And 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 with her, it's almost like okay, it doesn't matter. A, it's it's she's big, the women's champion. Here's a big strong person with a belt who is far bigger than the challenger. That's all that matters. Yeah, it was really the shot at the end was what they were selling you. So they mentioned the knee injury to Serena Deeb that has sidelined her, and the winner will travel to the NWA to challenge Camille. Uh, And Bunny walks up to her in the front row before the break. Nyla Rose and Chris Statlander are getting into it on the floor. So there's a lot going on here. Hirsch is hitting these German suplexes, and she's working for the armbar. Bunny keeps defending. She takes a knee to the head, and then... Hirsch goes for this double springboard moonsault and totally misses the bunny, who then capitalizes with a Death Valley driver, only gets a two count, and Hirsch again goes for the arm bar. The hands are clasped, so she rotates around, finally breaking the grip, and bunny taps in 8 minutes and 12 seconds. So (laughs) Camille enters the ring, and on top of it, she's wearing these heels. And she, dude, the it was insane to look at the, like, this was the biggest discrepancy in height. It was like, this was the visual. This is the only visual you needed to see. Yeah, this is your Hogan-Andre moment, you know? And, um, you know, obviously, uh, they're not as well known as those two. But, it, you you know, for, for characters that are relatively new to this audience, um, you you go by size. Like, you go by the most relatable story in the book, David versus Goliath. It's a very easy story to tell. And did they say that this would be on NWA TV? They just said NWA. So they didn't say if it was going to be at uh, the pay-per-views at the end of August or TV, they just said it makes little sense to me that they would spend the airtime to build to this match. If it wasn't going to be on AEW television, I I would think it should be in, sorry, AEW television or NWA. Yeah. AEW television. Well, they said they're going to the NWA for this match. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess that, that, that somewhat surprises me because have they done that in the past? I mean, it's they're. They have a relationship. Having a relationship means, you know, you you do stuff for each other. Chat room is suggesting Empower. Can you see that? The NWA. Well, that's what I just said show. at the at the pay-per-views, yeah, in St. Louis. So that would make sense. Yeah, I guess they're doing like, you know, some co-promotion there with um with Mickey James coming and uh or at least Mickey James maybe she'll make an appearance on the show. Then Jade Cargill and Mark Sterling gave us an update. She's been too busy to wrestle because she's been diversifying her pol- her portfolio with Shop AEW and interest from Hollywood and getting hashtag Jade brand out there. But she is ready to return and she will return to Elevation on Monday. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is you them uh, promoting Elevation and promoting Dark. Uh, yes, yes. So she will be there on Monday. I, I, I unfortunately kind of find this 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 whole thing losing a bit of steam. I feel like Jade, when even when she was teasing, you know, this like uh, free agency type of thing, um, she felt like there was a lot more buzz attached to her. Now, I, 
I think Mark Sterling is really talented, but it makes the gimmick feel a little bit too comedic to take seriously. And that plus we the fact that we simply haven't seen her wrestle in a quite a long time um, just kind of makes me go meh at the whole thing at the moment. Yeah, it's it was sort of just a segment of, hey, remember Jade Cargill. Next week in Pittsburgh, Chris Jericho versus Wardlow with MJF at ringside, Nyla Rose versus Chris Statlander and the Good Brothers against Evil Uno and Stu Grayson for the Impact tag titles. Do you so. see this uh, PBR ad? That aired during yeah the the PBR ad uh, aired tonight uh, I guess for for the US uh, featuring Matt Cardona with Chelsea Green Hornswoggle Brian Myers was Mark yeah. Sterling in there too I don't believe so but yeah they're all part of that you know Major Brothers or Major Figures podcast universe world mm-hmm. but there you go PBR getting some airtime on Dynamite like they said. And they confirmed here Britt Baker and Red Velvet for the Rampage debut. So we go to the main event and Malachi Black enters. And we've got pretty much comes out in this mask with these like antlers. And then it just goes completely dark uh, and then removes the mask for this big close up of the eyeball. Uh, I thought his entrance looked really cool. I liked it. I liked it a lot, too. Really cool. And, you know, like I... I think the the NXT entrances have been great. You know, they, they they just they look awesome. I think they also probably have a lot more budget to play with. But um this was totally worked. It was, you know, it was the same but different. I thought it looked it looked really good. Uh and then Cody comes out and I mean the crowd was fine all night, but this is what they were here to see. They were at just like the show up until this point, like I, I don't have a whole lot negative to say about it like it was it was like a fine show but to me it really didn't have like the punch of the last couple of weeks i think this show was largely built up to this main event and coming out i'm sure the last 15 minutes of the show are going to be most people's discussion i agree yeah we've we've had dynamite at, at such a high standard recently that you know coming back to daily's place even though it was the largest crowd they've ever had at daily's place and, and and maybe not a top to bottom pay per view level show feels a little bit like a retread, but this was certainly a worthwhile main event. The bell rings and the crowd's going nuts. They're chanting "Holy shit!" We've got one in black, one in white, uh, and Black goes after Cody's knee. He gets a deep half crab, and Cody is able to get out of it, and he climbs up the turnbuckle, and Black just leaps up kicks Cody off the turnbuckle and he plunges through the table ringside and this crowd's going nuts. Cody is able to fight back and beat the count, but his knee is wrecked. And as he staggers up, he eats a black mass crowd cheers and black stands on Cody's chest in four minutes and 39 seconds and wins. I'm going to get the negative out of the way first. Okay. This is all well and good to do this, but you had a golden opportunity to take Malachi Black and go through loss after loss after loss, and then he gets some help, and then he goes on a tear. But you blew it by bringing him in. He looks unstoppable. He beats a top star immediately. There's no funny business. Like they make a star in four and a half minutes and you've ruined what could have been just weeks, weeks of fan unrest. And why are they killing this guy? 
and then you give the people what they had wanted after they no longer care. Other than that, this was brilliant. Yeah, I thought this sucked. Should have been Matt Hardy out here as his first opponent. Use the ropes. On the ropes. Malachi Black is upset. Did I make the wrong move? Can I hang here? Obvious finish. Building stars does not have to be so hard. And, dude, Cody has done it many, many times. Where, dude, you want to make someone? We're putting you over 1,000%. 1,000. There was nothing for Cody here. It was mm-hmm. all about making Malachi black. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, what a great All the stuff about it takes years to make a star and all of this. And then you watch something like this. This is how you introduce someone. And you tell your audience, this is somebody to pay attention to. This is a big deal. This is the debut Aleister Black should have always received from the moment he left NXT. Uh, sorry, my headphones just ran out of power. So you're going to have to keep talking, John, while I plug in. So... It was just a dominant one-sided win for Malachi Black. And Black is on his way out. He's just smiling. And Tony Schiavone, you can just see the camera as Tony Schiavone is running towards the ring as Cody is like selling the concussed Black Mass that has just taken his head off. And there's Tony running into the ring to get his exclusive with Cody. And... Dude, you're looking at the clock. It's like, there's six minutes left in the show. What are they going to do here? And the end here, do you have any thoughts just on the match before we go to the promo? You know, um, it was, I think, what we love about Aleister Black's style. It was tremendous looking Muay Thai style kicks. I was actually really impressed with a lot of his submission work and his beautiful entries into those submissions. You know, this is, um, I think this is the guy that Undertaker always wanted to be. You know, we know we see the Undertaker. We know he's a huge fan of MMA. We've seen him be called. Sorry, the I'm greatest. picturing the Undertaker just trying a black mask with those hips. We, yeah, that's not happening. But if the Undertaker was like 30 years younger, okay, he'd be Aleister Black. He would be want to be promoted as he like Aleister Black is legitimately perhaps the greatest striker in in AEW. Perhaps you could say. You know, you can make an argument for it. Like him doing a Hell's Gate feels so natural. The Undertaker doing it, not as much. Um, so to me, he is like really the next evolution in that style of, of, of like gothic but realistic fighting style type of character. And, and we only got to see a snippet of it here, but it, he looked great doing it. So Cody takes the microphone. He says, legacy is a funny thing. I got into wrestling at 15 and all I wanted to do was win the title they took from Dusty at the Garden. I've had so much fun. Time flies, and dude, he is selling this knee like he never stops with the knee. I thought he was just great here. He shakes Tony's hand. He says, I fired them. They didn't fire me. Then I went out. I met Kenny and the Bucks, and people were laughing when we said that this would be a revolution. Big AEW champ breaks out. He says, this place, this is destination viewing now. We're not an alternative We're competition. We set the table, and now it's time for some new people to eat. And my face has been plastered on everything. Maybe there have been some outside interests that have come about. Maybe some infighting among us. But I love all of them. He calls this the AEW Amphitheater. There is no bitterness when I say that I love you all, 
and you made my life special. And he takes off his boot to leave in the ring. And there, where a crutch is laying, Alistair Black, Malachi Black, returns and blasts him with the crutch and takes the boot as Excalibur asks the question if Malachi Black has in fact retired Cody Rhodes as we go off the air. I thought this was just excellent. I thought Cody was great. I thought that they did everything here for Malachi Black. This promo was tremendous. He had this audience for all the negativity people want to give Cody. That's your prerogative. But my God, he had this audience in the palm of his hand here uh, delivering this promo. And it was great. I agree with you. I I really liked it. I I wasn't really sure where they were going when, you know, they were doing the whole thing. Like this needed to be Cody's sort of salmon jacket moment. And I thought he hit those notes really well. You know, and these fans were starting to change. Like the 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 heel maybe t- uh, leaning tendencies of Cody, I don't think is lost on them. And he went into this promo expecting it to be a challenge to have to turn some of these fans to actually care for him again. You had a portion of this audience start to chant na 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 and the rest of them start to shut them down because they realize that they were going to be listening to something important i thought he crossed a threshold where it went from acting to actually feeling heartfelt and you know at least allowing the audience to be able to suspend their disbelief to think oh wow this guy might actually be retiring um you can always count on him to kind of be like that do, do that rah rah we are AEW type of like you know, great promo, and he used that to his advantage here. It's a great effect. The fans ultimately started chanting no at this guy, you know, at the thought of this man taking his boots off and retiring. Um, but, you know, pulling on your heartstrings, I thought he did a great job. His acting was good. And it, was it enough to turn him back into a baby face? I don't really think so, especially not in front of maybe a, a less forgiving crowd than maybe, you know, in their home home base of Jacksonville. But nonetheless, I thought it reheated the feud really well. And you can have an excuse for Cody being away for a while now. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't like him him just being... I mean, he was demolished in this match, but this is more so, um, is he coming back? That's the story you can play up, and he can disappear for, for a while. Yep. But you have the program to come back to. Uh, and afterwards, uh, they announced to the crowd there that they would be coming back to Daly's Place December 29th, so the last... Uh, the last Wednesday, uh, is that a Wednesday? Let's double check. That's the last Wednesday of the year. Cool. So there you go. That was, that was homecoming before they're back on the road in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, overall, I thought it was a, a solid show, maybe a step down from previous weeks, but, um, I can't really say like there were any must-see matches coming out of this particular episode. And that includes the labor of Jericho match that includes even the main event. But of course you should watch the main event simply because of the excellent booking. It, I really wouldn't have, even if it meant a five-star match between these two, I think this was better in the long run for Alice, uh, Malachi black. The Cody thing is certainly interesting at the end. So um, a worthwhile episode is always, I would say. I think that, you know, the last 15 minutes and a, a, in particular, just seeing Malachi black handed handled that way, like I honestly believe like that is the is just such a huge part I think of fandom is seeing new stars created and adding new characters to to your big mix and it's it's a different comparison but 
you know, on, on Saturday night for that Bellator show, like if you have been following AJ McKee's career, like here's a guy who makes his pro debut in Bellator and by, you know, this, you cannot control the outcomes. And he had to go out there and win fight after fight, after fight, after fight, he's undefeated, goes to this Grand Prix and he's facing legit, like the best fighter in Bellator history. And he beats this guy in less than two minutes. It was such an incredible moment, not just because it's a great story. It was the crowning of a guy that feels, number one, he is the biggest star in Bellator today. And he is feels like one of the biggest stars in MMA within reason, because he is not a guy that is is going to be your, your you know, at the level of your biggest UFC draws. But like those kinds of moments, I think is what just so re-energizes your audience when they see new stars created. Like that is that is what the industry is built on. And I think it's frustrating for a lot when fans are behind certain talents and and they see a Karrion Cross or they see a Keith Lee and it's just you see something like this and you realize it it does not have to be so complicated. Like, yes, you have to do weekly television and that's a big task that I think we don't always give enough sympathy towards. But at its core, th- this does not have to be as complicated as as it is often made out to be. I look forward to the day where, you know, um, in this line of analysis, we no longer have to set the bar so low that we have to constantly, like, applaud maybe basic, logical things, like pushing a guy strong on his in his debut match. Um, That's we, what it's gotten to. Yeah, like, we, you know, we constantly make these references because we continue to see it being done in a way that is completely inefficient and completely wasteful of the tremendous resources that, you know, um, that are available to, to these companies. And so, um, I, again, I look forward to, to that time when we can really kind of create this among, you know, like other high quality works that are out there in entertainment. And it goes, and it goes for two. Like it's, yes, it's, um, it's the direction that you, you push this to. It's also like having a Cody Rhodes on board. Like yep, you could not ask more of somebody to go out there and just be destroyed in four and a half minutes for the idea of creating an opponent for himself. Like I think he sees that that big picture and he's done it multiple times. Yeah. Um at this point really he is untouchable. Um I think he is so ingrained into the DNA of, of AEW and he's a very good speaker that I think he you know, like him being away and coming back will immediately kind of refresh that stock. People will kind of forget about a loss like this and they'll see his next match as a big match. Um and he's I think very smart with his, you know, with that value. Forum.postwrestling.com tonight's rating out of ten was a seven point five nine. All right. I'll start us off with Bruce, another entertaining dynamite. The latest developments in the Page Omega saga were engaging, and it was great to see one of the best U.S. independent talents on primetime TV in Daniel Garcia. Sure, Hoovy and Jericho is a little rough around the edges, but that black mass was perfect. Like a lot of people, I was having fun sussing out the Easter eggs in the Elite's outfits, and as a Vancouverite, got a big kick out of the Bollywood boys nod. But am I missing something with the cutting down of the net? I'm familiar with the actual custom, but does it point to a particular wrestler? I didn't think of it that way. I thought it was just to fit with the theme of, of I don't know, the basketball retirement thing. Maybe, who knows? You know, maybe uh, somebody will point it out later on after this. 
We got a Dan who says, Once again, Dynamite was two hours of fun with only a few underwhelming chunks in the bunch. I thought the Jericho Hooven 2 class was a bit of a misfire, even if it was a noble one. Outside of that and Andrade's latest week of treading water, I had a pretty good time. Big fan of the retro Disney Darby Allen Contron. Uh, I'm not sure if it's... Did you uh, notice uh, Darby's Titantron? Yeah, it was like some cartoon. I actually didn't pay such close attention to it. He says, I'm not sure if it's new, but but it's newish to me. Also new to me, 2.0. What an introduction. I dug their style. I dug their shtick. I'll take more of that. I gotta say, I love watching AEW Dynamite each week, but my instant reaction whenever Rampage is teased for Friday nights is, Christ, no! I hope AEW and WWE both do monster ratings on Fridays, and I'm glad there's something other than the 2022 watch on Fridays. But a weekly Friday appointment just feels like an obligation. There are millions of high school basketball fans that will disagree with me on that, though. Football. Football. Football fans that will disagree with with me on that. Same with wrestling and baby blue movie fans. I look forward to <laughs> being so, being wrong and a weekly beer. Do they do they still do baby blue on Fridays? I think that I think we're a generation removed from a baby blue on a city tv brian from new jersey i grade this a 6.5 but we'll round it up to a seven the final 15 minutes or so of this week's episode were outstanding and i enjoyed miro versus lee johnson and the six-man tag i'm not as high on the show overall as i thought it was as i thought it was as hectic as ever with numerous people on the screen at different times made worse by the forbidden door being a revolving one going a mile a minute tonight Good brothers with the Impact Tag Titles claiming the Dark Order want to challenge them. NWA Women's Champion Camille in a blink and you'll miss it appearance until she got to get in the ring and go face to chest with Layla Hirsch. What next? Bandito and the Foundation being thrown at the proverbial wall to see if they stick? Or more likely, based on Dan Lambert's promo, MLW talent like King Mo. I'll give them credit. Dynamite still keeps my interest more than Raw, but it's a lot to keep track of. Also, a four-man booth for Rampage is too, too many. We go to Johnny who says, I love this week's edition of Dynamite. Every week this company reminds me how stacked their roster is and how they continue to spotlight talent that they haven't signed yet. My favorite match was 2.0 and Daniel Garcia versus Mox, Kingston, and Darby. A perfect showcase that pushes forward the idea that AEW needs trios belts. While I was hoping for Hangman winning the title at All Out, I'm fine with AEW taking their time for the moment. Glad to see some focus on the Impact Tag Titles and NWA Women's Title. Just keep strengthening those partnerships. Well, there's one in favor of the outside titles being focused on. Chris from Melbourne. This wasn't as good as previous weeks, but I still had several highlights. Malachi's entrance complete with music from the fantastic Dutch metal band Amenra. Malachi's one foot pin Camille in AEW. I long for a Jade versus Camille showdown. I thought Hoovy looked rough and I hated Cody making Malachi's win about him. Dude, if you came away, that was very much beneficial, I think, to Malachi Black in a big way. 7 out of 10, if rumors are true and Adam Cole isn't currently under contract, could we see him appear in AEW before his run in NXT is over? Uh, Before his NXT run is over. I mean, he's... you cannot. No, he's got, from what has been reported, an extension through SummerSlam weekend. um, Yeah, and and I I guess, like, technically, if he shows up in AEW, then his NXT run is over. Is he saying, like, (laughs) if we can see him go rogue and, like, not fulfill a final obligation that he's, like, he's going to skip TakeOver and set you up on AEW, that's not happening. Not right now. Um, He's very, I I think he really gets along with his coworkers, and you don't want to burn any bridges in a very small industry like this. Uh, So I I don't think there's any chance. We go to Mogan, who says, a solid show. 
Much has been said about Cody being in a position of power while being a regular on television. Malachi Black got the match he needed to become a big deal very quickly. The full retirement tease was well done, and it left me some doubt as to whether or not it'll stick. I hope the powers that be can resist temptation to bring him back quickly. Christian shaking, staking his claim to a title match keeps some hope alive for Hangman in Chicago once he's done soul-searching. All right. And the last one here is Kate from Montreal. I felt like this show suffered a bit from just how hot the last few Dynamites have been, or it's just that I've been annoyed with AEW for the last 24 hours because of the rap, but also because of my ongoing issues with their booking of the women's division, which I won't bother to rehash here. Miro continues to impress me with his character work as well as in-ring and looks like a monster while still being able to give some shine to a talented young opponent. I'm a big Layla Hirsch fan, so having her on TV with a good win makes me happy. For me, though, the night was all about the main event and the presentation of Malachi Black, and I thought they absolutely nailed it. He feels like someone on another level entirely, instantly feels like a top-tier star, not just better than his presentation on the main roster, but arguably as good as he looked on NXT. All right, and if you can hear, of course, more from Kate live on Friday as she joins me for Rewind of SmackDown. That is right, and I will announce here that uh, coming up this month... Uh, Way is going to be off for a couple of shows, and I do have some guests that will be joining me, uh, including next Tuesday for Rewind Away for the SummerSlam 2006 review. Uh, joining me will be Damian. 2016. 2016. What did I say? 2006? 2016. Randy Orton versus Brock Lesnar. Uh, and we will be joined by Damian Abraham for the show. So we will do a deep dive. I made sure. I'm like... You want to do this show? He's like, I remember it fondly. Like, okay. Ooh. So there you go. I don't know what that means, but he's going to watch the entire four-hour event and then chat about it with me. So that is next Tuesday. And Way is busy on Saturday night, August 21st. Uh, yeah, I am attending a friend's wedding, actually. I'm in the... the, the you were in uh, the wedding party? I'm in the wedding party. So, unfortunately, this is a prior commitment before the WWE announced SummerSlam for that date. So, I am unable to watch that show. I'm just allergic to anything named SummerSlam this month, it seems. Well, I have I have dug into the Rolodex. I have found not one, because it is SummerSlam. I need two co-hosts. So, we will be joined by not just Nate Milton, but also... Kate from Montreal. The first time I have done a show, I believe, with Kate in Montreal. So, ladies and gentlemen, SummerSlam post show. It is the debut of John and Kate plus Nate. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Perhaps the best name of a, of a podcast team in the history of post wrestling. I mean... Uh, it's not a surprise to me. John, John, you and I were discussing who, who we should get for the show. And the moment you brought up I mean, we were bringing up these two names because we both love hearing their opinions on pro wrestling. But the moment you brought up the name John and Kate plus Nate, I'm like, yes, sign sign them up, please. I don't care what they're doing. We get them to do this show. I, I'm so looking forward to this. Yeah, we had to we had to move uh, heaven and earth, clear the schedules, get them on. They were actually very, very agreeable uh, right away to, to join me. So that will be uh, coming up this month. So Rewind Away, next Tuesday, SummerSlam 2016 with Damien Abraham. That is for cafe members only. And then SummerSlam, uh, we will be going live that night with Kate from Montreal and Nate Milton right after SummerSlam. I'm so excited. There's so much stuff coming out, man. Next month, it's not just the debut of Rampage, but the debut of MCU Later, What If. 
So a whole lot of stuff. It's going to be a very busy couple of weeks. Yes. And if you join the cafe this month, you will also get volume two of talk with John and way volume two. Wow. We're really like building up a, just a casual conversation between us, aren't we? It's huge. When, <laughs> when, when me and way sit down and talk, the world listens. All right. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. We got it. We got a lot of cool stuff this month on the, on the cafe and on the free site. So check that out. I don't, I don't want to position it that, uh, and shout out, as all, shout out as all as always to Andrew Thompson doing such a great job and uh shout out to the BWE they're con- uh, every single day they're releasing a podcast from their 12 hour stream we've just had uh interviews with Will Cooling Jordan Goodman went up there the two Sarahs should be up there on the podcast feed right now later John on Lister is up there John Lister later on this yeah. week it'll be me with my brother James who just celebrated a 51st birthday today so happy birthday to James Did and- you send your brother a video for his birthday? No. Wishing him a happy birthday? No. Because there was a birthday that James sent you a video, and it is one of the best videos of all time. Oh, in terms of promos, he's got me beat. I he can't. is awesome. He yeah, is yeah. The... I mean, with all due respect, Wade's a great promo. James is James is next level. He is the most charismatic member of my family. Uh, I mean, maybe my mom, actually. But uh, yeah, the Ting family, um, you know, we're... We're, we're natural uh, uh, broadcasters, it seems. So he he's great. So happy birthday to him. And uh, yeah, a lot more coming out. So subscribe to British Wrestling Experience. All right. Uh, this is the part of the show where I realize I totally forgot to talk about NXT earlier. But uh, we're going to wrap things up. Uh, listen to Up Next, everybody. Listen to Up Next with Brandon Davey. And I'm also, while we're in the, the plugging mood, uh, great interview with Andrew Thompson with Chris Hero. Uh, great mm-hmm. chat to go check out. Uh, on the site and Andrew Thompson interviews on YouTube. So that's it for us. Uh, Way is going to be back on Friday night at 10, 15 Eastern. I'll be back Thursday, one Eastern on the post YouTube channel with Phil previewing UFC and then a post show Saturday, right after the pay-per-view. So uh, that is all for us. You will hear me and way together again on Monday after raw. So that is it. Goodbye. Good night. See ya. <laughs>